This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, we're going to do it again here on the Midlife Mail Podcast. I am Greg Scheinman. Thank you guys for joining us. If you like what you hear on the show, please give us that five-star review. Subscribe to the program. Tell all your friends and family and everybody out there so once again we can keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. Creative, entrepreneurial, family-oriented, philanthropic, ambitious, and grounded. These are words I would use to describe my guest this week, Ali Valiani. He is the president of New Horizons Hospitality and has since successfully developed five properties, bringing the total portfolio to eight hotel properties owned and managed by New Horizons. This is a family-owned and operated business. We get into the dynamics of working with family in this episode as well, and he's got a great take on it. Uh, What else we got? He's a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin with a degree in management. His main focus has been expanding the portfolio of New Horizons through the development and enhancing the guest experience across all of their brands and properties. He is the vice chairman of the Aga Khan Foundation, a proud husband and father. Let's dig in. Ali Valiani on this episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Midwife Mail Podcast time again on the show this week. My guest is Ali Valiani. He is the president of New Horizons Hospitality. Ali, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, one thing I always like to start with is you know, what what's your morning routine? You know, we're doing this in the morning on a Friday, sure. putting new episodes up. Uh I'm always curious about you know, guys' morning routine, how sure. they start their day. Sure. Well, uh, since we had our uh, second child five months ago, uh, morning routine with a uh, daughter <laughs> is uh, my responsibility now. So we have two dogs, so I'll uh, wake up in the morning, usually around 6.37, go walk the dogs, um, and then get her ready for school, breakfast, change. I don't see her at night a lot because I work pretty late hours. So I try to spend time with her in the morning. That's my time with my daughter. And uh, so we'll try to read or play or color or whatever she wants to do for a little bit. Um, And she goes to school uh, close by to where we live. So typically I'll drop her off and go to work. But the morning's running a bit later, then I'll drop her off, come back, and also get time to catch up with my wife and my newborn then as well. So... um, but I usually get her in. I usually hit the office around uh, 9.30, 10. Mondays is a big, heavy meeting day, but typically I don't like to get into email or meetings right away. I kind of want to address what, you know, I know the hot topics are for the day to get into it. And the mornings are definitely important to plan kind of, you know, what's the agenda for the day. Because I find that if I go into a day without kind of having a plan, then it's not really productive use of time. And, you know, time is really uh you know, at a minimum right now, so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Was that kind of tough for you? I mean, some of the answers I get, you know, some guys will wake up and immediately check the email. You know, I'm, I'm actually one of those guys. No matter what I try or have tried, I wake up and I feel like I got to clear that stuff out yeah. and shoot some things out at, before I can 
be ready move to forward. even get my work yeah. and, and move forward. Was that an adjustment for you, or you, or have you been pretty good about being able to kind of shut that stuff off or, or keep that off to the side and, and do the opposite? Well, like. well, I actually also since I work later, I get a lot of my emails out late, so I'm waiting for people to get back to me in the morning. So necessarily, I'm not hearing at seven in the morning back from folks, but I do always scan email in the morning while I'm walking the dogs or something and get five or 10 emails out. It's funny because I was just talking to, to our vice president of operations yesterday about this and he was like, Hey, I'm going to the gym. So if I don't respond at seven in the morning, you know, what's going on? I'm like, I got it. I, you know, I'm going to send five or 10 out quickly to get them out and you're right, get things going. Cause it's a couple hours before I hit the office then. So if there's things that need to be in motion, you know, we're in hospitality. So we're 24 seven. Like I got a call, you know, the alarm went off with the new hotel last night, fire alarm, and I was texting. So it's not really conventional day-to-day. I, you know, some guys have a more consistent daily schedule. My schedule is very fluid sometimes, so mm-hmm. uh, it depends. But I definitely always get on, and usually there's a quick call or text in the morning if something's going on. But if it's a quiet day or if there's nothing really going on, then I don't necessarily need to get into email. It's pretty heavy, so it really depends on what's, you know, what's on the schedule. Sure. Now... And I did the intro, and I can go over your bio on this. But why don't you tell me what you think, what, what New Horizons hospitality really is, you know, what it means to you and your family and your vision for, for the brand and the company that you're building. Sure. Well, New Horizons is a family-owned company. My father and I own the company jointly. We started it 12 years ago. The um, unique... Um, of one of the unique things about our company is that the values that we have as a family, honesty, integrity, community service, we try to embody those same familial values into our company values. You know, giving back in our company is important. Being honest, being ethical, being transparent with our partners and with our employees about what's going on and what we're working on. So it's cool because the values from our family have established the values for the company. Um, the other thing that makes us unique is that we're based right here in Houston. Uh, all of our hotels are here in Houston. We grew up here in Houston. Our family lives here in Houston. So we feel very strongly tied to uh, the city of Houston. And um, it, it, it's a unique opportunity to, you know, for people to grow within the company because they know they can still be close to their families and not have to travel. So it's a different proposition you know, for people that like to join our company. But... I mean, we've grown, you know, we've tripled the size of the company in 12 years, you know, and we've had some really good growth. But uh, I think it's just, it's, 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 you know, I was just looking at this, you know, yesterday and coming together, you know, working with family is challenging. It's tough, but it's got, it's definitely, it's got its rewards as well. And overall, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that, you know, that I had. I, uh, a lot of people say, oh, like, you know, oh, your dad had hotels, he, you just joined him. Well, you know, my real friends and family know that that's not the case. We worked, you know, hours and hours and hours to build what we have. You know, didn't go on a lot of vacations, weekends out, hanging mm-hmm. out with the guys. You know, that's the sacrifices you make. And I think the people at New Horizons, like, it, it, the, the company embodies that same entrepreneurial spirit and thinking like, hey, how can we always grow and how can we innovate? Um, and that's important to us. Yeah, look, I think... You, your family, probably everybody we've had on the show is a 10, 20, 30 year success, you know, overnight success. You know, from the outside looking in, you know, perception isn't always reality. Sure. The, the sweat and the deers and the, and the rolling up of the sleeves and everything that goes into, you know, building an organization. Uh, 
going to has challenges that we can't possibly know or understand sure. unless you're you're on the inside. But you did you set out, I guess, to work with family? I mean, I guess you know you're into this twelve. 2006, it says you left, you know, you left the corporate world. Right. So you were doing something else, and I'd like to touch on that. But did you envision working with family, or is that something you thought you were going to do? Uh, and if not, what was kind of the thought process? And I'm going to go work with with my dad. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to mix. Yeah. I'm going to mix family, you know, and, and finance and business sure. together. Yeah, um, it was a uh, kind of growing up in a you know, immigrant family that's an entrepreneur, I think kind of the expectation on the family's part is, hey, my son or daughter is going to take over the business from me. Mm-hmm. Like, I built this for them. I'm building all this up. You go get your school, come back, and I'm going to hand it to you, right? And, um, you know, we started in the dry cleaning business. You know, we were in the dry cleaning business for 30 years. A lot of my family's still in it here in Houston. And uh, that was a hard, tough grimy, dirty business and not necessarily something that I was like, oh, yeah, I want to go to school and then get back into dry cleaning. I mean, it made us you know, money and helped us get seed money to where we are, but mm-hmm. it's a tough business. So I kind of always knew in the back of my mind that that was there, that opportunity. And as my dad started getting into hotels, you know, he started changing his mix of business. And, you know, so I did work in the hotels. I worked in the dry cleaners a lot. So I got a taste of both business. But um, when I was in school and when I graduated college, I went to UT and, um, and they're going to be OU this weekend. So, uh, when I went to, uh, when I graduated, I wasn't ready. I don't think emotionally or professionally to take on the responsibility of working with family. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I graduated, it, uh, it, the economy wasn't the best of times. Um, you know, we were coming off of, uh, you know, the uh, stock market crash and all that stuff was going on. So I ended up actually going to work with my dad more out of, hey, couldn't find anything to do. We were trying to get out of the dry cleaning business, so I got in with him. Um, but I that experience really made it concrete that, okay, I'm really not ready for this yet. And that's why I ended up going out to do – so I owned a business on my own uh, for mm-hmm. a time being that I got into a, with a, one of my best friends at the time. And uh, I lost everything I had in that business, all my personal savings. You know, I borrowed money from my parents. We lost everything. And um, that, at that time, that was very tough. Um, but the life lessons that I learned that probably people have been telling me, you know, make sure you have contracts signed, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, didn't, I was hard-headed. I was sure. young. That helped me mature, I think, as a person and professionally to say, okay, all these people know what they're talking about. You know, I should be listening to them, but I still wasn't ready to, I think, go work with the family. And that's when I found this opportunity with uh, Ameriprise Financial. And I never really worked um, like with a big corporation like America, it was my American, American Express, Express at that time. So I was like, well, this is a good opportunity for me to learn to see how big companies operate and, um, you know, go out there, develop, you know, a bit and see where it goes from here. Um, and so I was... It was a sales job, basically. You're selling insurance, you know, financial plans. They tell you, they tell you you're financial planning and all that, but it's sales. Yeah, I did five, six hundred calls a day, dialing for dollars. What that really did was help me understand what sales really means, right? Understanding the sales process, the funnel, and so, which gave me experience in my current role, you know, in terms of managing sales. But I stayed there for a few years, and I think I soaked up 
what I could. How does this company operate? You know, what are the ways that corporations work? You know, how do different people do things? And also learned a lot about investments and insurance, which I could transfer knowledge to, you know, our family to help them with their financial planning, et cetera. <laughs> but it, they, it kind of hit me, I think, two or three years in, okay, this is not for you. You know, your dad's, you know, my dad's building a business. He had a lot on his plate. I figured now I have four or five, six years in, I can add some value. I can add some, um, you know, I can add some value here. Mm-hmm. And I can be mature enough to say, no matter what he, you know, whatever comes out of this or whatever he throws at me, I'm okay. I'll take it because I know that that's going to be part of the process. Forty-year experience guy. I don't know, you know, anything. I'm going to come in here. You know, I've got to be humble about that. And it took me a while, personally and professionally, to get to that point mm-hmm. when I was waiting to go into that. If I hadn't done that and gone in before this partnership would have never probably worked, I think. And so I never regret my path. I never regret what turns or, you know, paths I took in life because it got me to where I am now. Um, but I always knew that back in my mind I would eventually get in with him, and that's kind of how it kind of how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think well, you always learn more from this. You learn more from failures than you do from, from successes, sure. you know, and, and – the journey or the lessons learned on the journey that get you to where you are now or got you to where you were even back in 2006 when you were you were doing this, would you send the same message to your kids too? You know, I mean, now you have kids. You're in a family business yourself. Would you give the same advice to your kids? Now, today, if they want to join the family business, are they getting right in, or are they spending some? You advice. You need to spend some years out there. Yeah. Um, you know, similarly, or have you have you even thought about that yet? Because maybe because they're too young. <laughs> well, I mean, the the what we have thought about is more. Well, what do we want our kids to do, right? And you know. Um, our daughter goes to religious classes every Saturday, so I go and meet with the other dads and, you know, we kind of volunteer and help out there. And so we started talking. We had this actually conversation, and I said, it's like, guys, like, we're taking them. I mean, my daughter's Montessori probably costs more than my college, you know, education. Like, it's crazy, Tell right? Tell me about it. Which one is she at? Uh, she's at Country Day. We were at Post Oak yeah. Montessori too. We looked at Fantastic. Post Oak. So, mm-hmm. and, and so it's like you're investing all this time, this resources into your child. You know, you want them to go to the best schools. You want them to go to the best universities. But I think every person has their own path. And so the way that they define success is different than the way that I define success. Mm -hmm. I think that if ultimately uh, my child is a good citizen of the community and adds value in the community, and if they find something they like to do or that they have a passion about, then I would love for them to explore that. I have an older sister. My sister knew from a very young age she wanted to be a doctor. She had a laser focus on that. She knew that. Me, I never knew what I wanted to do. I knew I just wanted to make money. I just wanted to have fun, right? And so that's... Those are both great goals. Right, exactly. Great aspirations. We should all do both of those things. But some people have like a laser focus when they're young on this is what I want to do and Mm -hmm. they work towards that. I don't. And, you know, like I think it... I would... I don't... I would not compel them to join it. If they wanted to join, I would definitely have them go work and um, start from the bottom. Because when I joined my dad, I started cleaning toilets first. That's what I did for the first year. Because the way you learn the business is you got to work from the bottom up. You can't 
come in as a 20-something-year-old and try to manage people that have more experience in the business than you have years in your life, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely, that's part of keeping them humble as well, right? Like, you don't just get to come in and be the president, right? You need to work your way up, and you have to get to learn the business that way. So if they did want to join, I would prefer that they learn from the bottom up, but I would, or go learn outside and bring those skills and experience in. Um, but, you know, as long as they're happy doing what they do and they're good people, you know, that's really the most important thing. Yep. How is the working relationship and the dynamic between you and your dad? You know, like, there's during the day, and again, you're, we'll get into the t- hospitality 24-7. And this, but also, hey, maybe he's over on the weekend seeing his grandkids, and are we talking business or are we leaving it, you know, leaving it at, at the office? Yeah. So when I first started um, working with him, I was still living at home, actually. After college, I moved back in. So I moved out pretty quickly after that. Because <laughs> I was going to say, how long did that last? That's exactly what happened is we would be all day at work and then we'd sit home at the dinner table and, you know, just naturally business would come up and I'm like, dude, I just need to be able to shut it off for a little bit. I can't go, you know, my dad is a very uh, intense guy. He's a very intelligent guy. So he's always got stuff clicking and he can turn it on and off, but usually it's always on. And so for me, I need that little time to kind of, you know, I don't mind working late at work, but when I come home, I need a little time to just turn mm-hmm. it off and relax. And so once I moved out, that helped because then when we would see each other socially, it would be for the purpose of, all right, we're hanging out, so let's not. Does work never come up? Of course not. It always comes up. But, you know, now that I have kids also, you know, when when my dad's hanging out with us, you know, he's really playing with the grandkids and really focused on them. And that's what I want him to be doing. And so that has changed the dynamic a bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, when I was single or just married, yeah, a lot of times we would talk about work or stuff. But I would be conscious about trying not to. And so would my mom and my wife. Because, you know, if we're hanging out on the weekend, you know, we're trying to have dinner or whatever, you try to. But owning a family business and the nature of the business, there's always stuff going on. There's always stuff to talk about. So that's just ingrained in the fabric of our lives, I think. Mm-hmm. But I try to try to keep those two separate. But, you know, it's hard sometimes. Sure. Does your wife work? She is. So my wife um, is a licensed uh, counselor, professional counselor, and she um, was working for a firm, Modern Therapy, uh, before she had our second child. Uh, And after that, she went out on her own, and so she is working part-time now after getting kind of back into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she sees, I think, clients two days a week or a day and a half a week which is great for her. She can be engaged and her clients, you know, really like her and she really helps them. I think the plan is once our son gets a little older for her to go full time and we're going to set her up with her own, you know, her own office because she leases space right now from someone else. Um, People love her. Like she does great at her job and um, people are just constantly reaching out. So I know if we opened up her schedule, she could kind of fill up. I told her, she's, you're my retirement plan. You're going to go you know, do all of it. <laughs> I'm going to go home, stay, stay, take care of the kids. She's like, I don't know about that. But she's a, she's a great counselor, and she loves what she does. And so that's an example of someone that she knew kind of young age, or at least like in high school, college, like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to help people. And that's one of the things I loved about her because she's very passionate about what she does. And, um, you know, they say yin and yang, right? Like, we're so different in so many ways, but that's what you love about that person because they have that, maybe that thing or that characteristic that you don't, and that's what she brings in our relationship. Absolutely, and it's the, it's the light up your face moment, you know? Exactly. Okay, so that's, that's really, really great, great stuff. 
What's your process of making decisions? You know, kind of. I can't imagine the volume of decisions that you have to make on like a daily, weekly, month, quarterly basis. And you just recently even opened up another new property. Yeah. Um, and that's everything from the wallpaper, you know, yeah. to the to the flooring. I mean, everything that goes into building a brand and that feeling you get from, imagine the second you park your car in the parking lot and then you're walking through the door, do you like this, you know, the experience and all the decisions that go into that? Do you have a process for, for decision-making or how do you manage that aspect? Um, I try to be data-driven in my... Um in my decision making, I try to really look at as much data as possible and be objective as possible. In business, you've got to separate emotion from the facts. I think, um, and uh, I, that's my personal belief. Um, can now being a business owner, can you truly separate emotion? Well, I mean, I don't know. But um, so when I'm making at least you know those types of decisions where there's data at hand, you know, I like to analyze a lot of data. I like to talk to my team, get their input. Um, and then make a decision based on those factors. But in terms of like building the brand um, and you know creating ambiance and creating that experience, you know you touched on it that at our hotels, the experience starts the literally the minute you turn down the street and you turn into the parking lot, right? Are all the lights on? Is the landscaping nice? You know, in the new hotel we've got a mural that's. It's on the back of a dumpster wall, but it's the first thing you see when you drive up to the hotel. It's an original mm-hmm. mural by Sebastian, uh, Mr. D, the artist here in Houston. And so, you know, for me, I did that because that sets the mood. Oh, wow, what's this cool mural? Oh, this is the hotel. Let me turn in here. Turn into the hotel. Oh, really cool landscaping, cool design out front. And we have designers and architects that we work with, but we draw inspiration from all over the world. You know, I mean, we look at hotels. We look at, you know, places that we see. And, you know, we... We, we know what we think looks contemporary and nice, and, you know, we try to give that vision to our designers. But, you know, as soon as you walk into the lobby, some of the hotels, we use a, a scent machine because that activates the senses of, you know, that it's not really activated in a retail application. And so Hyatt Place, actually, the brand, you have to buy this specific Hyatt Place scent, but people love it. You come in and, it, you know, it, it invokes memories, et cetera. So, you know... Working with Hyatt, Hilton, Marriott, you know, we're franchise, we franchise. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that relationship yeah. as well, but keep going. So being franchised with them, you get to learn a lot about how those companies do it, and they talk to you as owners. This is what we're doing. This is how we're building our brand. So, you know, you pull inspiration, try to read as much as possible. But, um, you know, the last couple of hotels we've been doing, um, we've really been able to get more um, uh uh, more customized in terms of the design and the integration of the local art. Hadn't really done that in the builds before, um, I guess because, um, you know, maybe it wasn't something I was tuned into or didn't see the value of it. For us now, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of hotels in Houston and, you know, 1,500 hotels, new hotels opening a year, you know, in the last couple of years. So what's going to differentiate my product from someone else? Well, if I was a consumer... If I went online and I saw, oh, there's this awesome mirror at the pool, same price or it's a little bit higher, fine. I'm going to go to this hotel over this one because it's a cool experience, mm-hmm. right? And I think experiential, if I said that right, marketing, um, that's the key, right? People are looking for that experience. They're not looking to buy a thing necessarily. They're looking to have that memory, have that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So if we can create that experience, especially traveling, which is you know a pretty big thing. You know, you're staying at 
you know, random room, you know, out of town, you may be a little uncomfortable. So how do we make this real experience for them? And building the brand, you know, um, building the brand of New Horizons is something that constantly, you know, I think about. And I just really go off intuition and gut, I guess. Um, you know, I read, I do a lot of reading and LinkedIn and, you know, talking to people. But ultimately, I think it's just the way that we've built it is on the values of the company. So, you know, we talk about our community service that we do. We talk about the team, uh, the team building that we do. We talk about, you know, working with local, you know, artists or local artisans, craftsmen. Those things are important to us, supporting Houston. So that's helped us kind of build our brand around that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that's definitely something that, you know, has just organically kind of grown and um, haven't really sat down and, you know, laid out a plan. This is my plan to grow the brand, but I think it's just organically developed over the last few years. Sure, and I think it's it's interesting. And we'll talk about this a little bit. The, you know, the ownership that you have in New Horizon and the built and the business that you're that you're building and what you're doing there. But that connection, I do a lot of work with franchisees and franchisors also because what you're doing is you're partnering with established, very established, existing brands. Uh, but then you're trying to also become that best-in-class owner-operator of those. How do those? Is how do you choose your partners, or how have you chosen your partners? Um, and what do you look for? And I guess what do they look for in kind of what you're really doing is almost co-branding and co-building, you know, building together. You are right because mm -hmm. it's a Marriott licensed hotel managed by New Horizons Hospitality, mm -hmm. so it's a partnership, right? Um, some hotel brands, well, so the first question was, how do we choose who we partner with? Um, Hilton or Marriott are the big boys in the industry. And our plan, business plan, my dad and I's plan, has always been to partner only with the big boys. Because during down times or tough times, you know that you're going to have the backing there. You're still going to get, you know, X amount of business because of your affiliation with this brand versus maybe IHG or, you know, Holiday Inn or something like that, which are good brands, but those are definitely stronger. Um, and, you know, Marriott just merged with Starwood, right? I mean, last year, but that's official now. I'm a big Marriott guy, by the way. There I can plug go. Marriott, all there my rewards go. points, I'm, everything. I'm not necessarily there. plugging them, but they're... I can, I can plug. You don't have to plug. I'll plug. Hey, they, they've been good to us. <laughs> go. and we, love, we only have one Marriott hotel. We love working with them. And either, either Hilton or Marriott, depending on the specific location... You know, what other brands are there or whatever, but between those two is important. Marriott, what's really interesting, though, about them is my personal reason to believe they bought Starwood is just the membership rewards, right? They picked up 50, 60 million users from Starwood. They are the largest rewards program now, like 120, 150 million, something like that. The largest rewards program, not in hospitality, but in any industry and around the world. That's the largest membership reward program in the world, 150 million people. So the reason that's valuable is because 60 to 70% of the hotel's business comes from membership reward members. Mm -hmm. So I've got 50% more people in a Marriott system looking at me than I would in maybe another brand. So mm -hmm. it comes down to the you know, distribution of how they sell, you know, how they sell our rooms and co- you know, partnering with a, a brand is, you know, like Hilton or Marriott is really the key there. Mm -hmm. So that's important for us to always partner with one of those guys. Uh, some of the brands, like Homewood Suites is a franchise of Hilton. The, this is the one we just opened. Homewood's unique because there's it's a smaller brand. 
and they basically, every single design is a custom design. So you can come up with your own interior design and, you know, submit it to Hilton as long as they approve it. You know, so there's no Homewood that looks like the other one because they're all unique. What we did here is we took it a step further and we started pushing them, right? We said, look, typically the hotel art you see is, you know, it's nasty. Let's take this art, reproduction of local art, murals around Houston. Let's put it up. Was it a process? Oh, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth and Mm -hmm. a lot of revisions that Hilton said, no, you can't use this image. You can use this one. So it wasn't easy. And my whole thing during that process, because literally it took me a lot of extra time and money to get all the art and the murals done. And a lot of people, I think, questioned it or didn't see the value of it. And um, it's not a short-term value. It's a long-term value um, that I was going for and differentiating ourselves. But being able to really customize at the Homewood opened up the possibilities of, hey, let's do these murals. And now that Hilton has seen what I've done, they love it. And they're actually, next week, they're publishing an article on travel.hilton.com on this hotel. And nationally, they're trying to pitch the article to Forbes, Wall Street Journal, some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because know, it's a cool story, and we've done it at two hotels now. So that's the value that comes from yeah, it. You know, it's you a long-term process. And you can right. your local, and, and you can personalize these you projects to. to an extent. that lead by example. You have to, and, and then be, and then have them even they want to get utilized throughout the organization. You know, at a higher level, right? And on passed level. around. Sure. And said, you guys, exactly. You guys can all win. All win for it's that. a win-win, right? Mm-hmm. And and then for me personally, you know then I can engage the brand, right? Like, the brand's got hundreds and hundreds of franchisees, right? Yep. If I'm the one sticking out, you know, I'm the one that's going to get the attention, right? So it's like, you got to work for it also. They're just not going to give it to you, right? So Mm -hmm. this is great exposure for the company and the brand as well. I couldn't agree more on that. And I said, you know, we we work with a lot of franchisees and franchisors, and what you're really talking about here that, that connects and resonates is... You know, again, how do you differentiate yourself? How are you offering best-in-class service, and how do you become recognized as that best-in-class operator? Right. You know, because it is a two-way street in sure. these in these relationships, and we've got, you know, we got underwriters and insurers that you know, it could be the exact again same brand, if you will, or franchise. They want one group, but they don't want another. Right. And and here are the reasons why, right. you know. And that stuff is quantifiable and, and data driven. Um, sure. And it's cool stuff to look at overall yeah. and how you how you choose on that. Um, I'm not a financial guy. This isn't purely a financial show. You touched on some things as it pertains to even the reward points and everything. We joked a little bit that I'm a Marriott guy. Yeah. So he's a quick little midlife male moment. Okay. The financial guy that I had on, uh, Daryl Lyons. Check out that episode if you want his viewpoints on finances and credit cards and rewards and all that. He's got some amazing stuff oh, to I say. Need to listen to that. I will just tell you mm, that looking into those programs, never having been a part of those programs for a long period of time, having joined the largest rewards program in Marriott, seeing what's happened through there, it's become very valuable to a family of four mm, trying to travel. Go places where you check in, what you look at, how people take care of you. It's been extremely, extremely eye-opening in terms of how I utilize that in order to, quite frankly, almost supplement some income sure. in a way, allow us to do things we may not have otherwise been able to do. Sure. Um, and it's become a, a, a cool exercise in brand loyalty and structure and all of those things. So 
listen to Daryl, he knows more. Okay. Combine it with what we're talking about over here for all you guys out there and, and make your own decisions is on on that stuff. Let's talk a little bit on what stresses you out? <laughs> Pet peeves, you know. You seem like a pretty chill guy, pretty colorful guy, yeah. But but shit, if we're just taking the gloves off, like what pisses you off? You know, um, Work-wise, the most frustrating issues are, um, uh, you know, really, you know, making sure the culture of a company comes together and everyone's on the same page and working together. You know, we manage a team of 400 people, so there's always push and pulling going on. Um, from a business standpoint, to me, that's personally the most probably difficult or frustrating part about it. Um, I have a very high EI, so like I know how to deal with people personally, but I can't handle every single situation in my organization. So um, that for me is some of the challenging part. Uh, the economy goes up and down, right? I mean, we have to we have to adjust our business with the swing. So that's not something that you know the business your business is cyclical. Dealing with those changes, you know, that happens, and that's mm-hmm. something you got to roll with, but. I think we can, you know, being objective and looking at us internally, I think we ha- have an opportunity to, you know, the standard turnover in my industry, limited service hotels, is 65% a year. So, and that's a, from Hilton and Marriott. So Staggeringly large number. I mean, I think about if we had to turn over 65% of our staff here every year, mm-hmm. so to how me, do you move forward? That's very frustrating. Um, the nature of the business, you know, we have low hourly paid employees in some of the positions. You know, they're transient. They move a lot. So that creates challenges. The other issue is here in Houston right now, there's so many new hotels opening that people are getting pulled and poached all the time or people are leaving, um, you know, for 50 cents or a dollar more, which, you know, I don't hate on them. But, you know, that kind of – that doesn't exist anymore, right? That, oh, I come here and I'm going to grow. I mean, some people do, like mm-hmm. in upper-level management. And so what we do is – you know, we always try to promote from within or identify because if I don't have an opportunity for in the organization, I know if you want to grow, you have to leave. Well, let me earmark you and say, hey, I'm watching you. You're a superstar in our company. Mm-hmm. If something becomes open, we'll talk about it. And so, you know, you kind of asked about New Horizons. That's one of the things that we really try to um, do a lot is promote from within, grow from within, because that's a stronger tie, I think, that we've got to our team. So that nature of the business, the turnover is a frustrating part for me and I think saps a lot of time, you know, from the whole corporate organization. Um, and so, but that's the nature of the industry. Personally for me, um, it takes a lot for me to get upset. Um, I usually can take a lot of, um, of stress on um, because I've got a good support system. Um, my wife is very supportive, uh, and she knows that. You know, she's a psychologist, anyways, right? So, so you're a cl- you're a customer too. You're a client. <laughs> well, actually, sometimes it's the other way around because when she comes home, she needs to unload on someone. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times when I come home, and she's like, "Hey, can I talk to you?" And like, you know, I get an hour of her stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I I actually don't like to take my work home. That's one thing that I saw from my dad is that he would come home from work. You know, we'd have dinner and he'd go right into his office, you know, and like start working again. I'd rather just stay at work late and then come home and just have that time, you know, that time done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're phoning. It's an interesting but... point that you make about, you know, being present. And this has come up 
Mind quite a bit too, especially now with with phones and social media and constant distractions and everything else. You know, you could be there, but you're not. But you're not present. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to be like, if I only see my wife for 30 or 45 minutes, she doesn't want me checking email or LinkedIn or whatever. She's like, even if we're just sitting watching TV, she wants mm-hmm. me there, right? And so I have to be mindful of that. And I can't do that unless I take care of what I need to at work. Because then I yep. can come home, leave the laptop in the car, put the phone on the counter and for that hour. And, you know, there's a lot of studies about this blue light or, you know, it. and honestly, I didn't believe it, but... A couple of mornings I had to wake up to take a dog out or the kid was crying and I checked the phone and I couldn't go back to sleep. My mind was already activated or yep. the light. So now in the morning, like, you know, get woken up early, mm-hmm. I know that I try not to look at it because you're screwed then, right? I mean, that's it. You're done. These are hard habits to break. You know, these are things that constantly, you know, come up and then back to leading by example. And again, I got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, wow. you know, and I can't be hypocritical Ooh. with, you know, we're sitting at the dinner table, Ooh. you know, and if I'm reaching and grabbing something or even if I walk into the house and still looking right. down, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, you want to be mindful of it. Uh, it's challenging and it's, and it's difficult and it takes... I don't know how many hours, you know, how many consecutive hours you need to do something before, again, it becomes a habit. But right. we're in the breaking of, of bad habits mode and working on these things. So it's a valid it's a valid point you make. Yeah, like I told you, I take care of my daughter in the morning. We have breakfast, mm-hmm. and it's so easy. She's there eating her cereal. I can just, but I feel so, like, like dude, I'm not, this time is for her. Put it away, engage with her, talk to her, um, you know. And so it, it is something you have to force yourself to do because it is, just natural to just grab it and look at it every five seconds, you know what I mean? And, you know, they see that, right? I mean, the kids see that, like, I mean, you know, there's just, I remember we were on vacation in Hawaii and my wife was pregnant and I remember we were at like Burger King or somewhere again, you know, my nephew, something to eat. And there was a mom and like, she was just on her phone, like 20 minutes. And the kid literally was just like, looking at the mom like hey are you gonna talk to me you know like and i was like i don't you know i understand everyone's situation but yeah gotta be mindful of that and gotta be present so mindfulness right is a really big part of my wife's practice and it's funny because she tells me she's like you're naturally mindful like you have the ability to if you're in that moment do what's there and not be thinking about other stuff right take advantage of that opportunity and that's important it is i i I notice that stuff all the time, too. Um, you probably do because you take tons of meetings and are always around also. I notice it as I go around different clients, prospects, other things, friends, everybody. You know, if you're having lunch with somebody or if you're having breakfast with somebody or where they are, or even just in a meeting, are they looking, are they checking, are they doing it, or who's, you know, who's present, who's being mindful, and who's in. I think it does, it does tell you a lot. Sure, you know, definitely. We could we could do an hour or so on, on that. A couple of hours <laughs> on meet on how those. I mean, look. I mean, you know, if someone's there looking at their phone in a meeting. Yep. You know, you know they're not engaged, right? Yep. I mean, you can't be. And we're doing something on, uh, you know, think about you know, judgment. You know, once you stop judging people, it almost opens up the opportunity to see how judgmental people really are. You know, we're looking around at what everybody else is really, mm-hmm. really doing. You're trying not to judge, or maybe you shouldn't be, but you can't help. It, but you can't help it. It's a natural mm-hmm. human instinct, right? I mean, you're gonna have a. I mean, you're gonna have a perception about someone. You're gonna think something about someone. You're just programmed that way. The key is, what do you do to get around that? Right. Mm-hmm. Talk to the person. Find out who they really are. What they're about. Yep. Don't just. Take whatever because most of the times we make wrong assumptions about people, right? Hey, do you do any um, with your company? Do you do any 
personality type tests or caliber type stuff. You know, as, as we talk about this a little bit, uh, it comes up. I actually had to go meet somebody in Dallas two weeks ago, and I thought this is the first time this actually happened to me. This was a just a friend of a friend connecting two people, saying, "If you're going to be in Dallas, go go meet them." Okay. And the woman sent me a text. Basically, hey, would you fill this out before we go and and have lunch and do this? We do this with all of our our clients and, and before all of our meetings. And I thought it was fascinating. That's awesome. I thought it was fascinating. Um, to see, quite frankly, whether or not there may even be rapport there. Maybe sure. the personality dynamic, you know, how it works. Do you place any value, I guess, in that? Do you do that stuff? You know, it's, uh, we're actually looking at a service right now um, to help us with that because we know hiring is an opportunity, I think, for us, for all companies, right? I mean, yeah. So it's like we're looking at some tools, some hospitality-specific personality tools. We've used some in the past before. I've had my wife sit in on some of the interviews for some of the more <laughs> senior positions so she can give me you know, feedback of what she observes because what she sees in, a, in the interview is like usually totally different than what we all see. We're all looking at it from... All right, you know, like more of, I guess, a business standpoint. She's looking at it from a soft personal standpoint. She's like, did you guys notice he said this when you asked this? That's a red flag. Like, yeah. Oh, what? Okay, you know, so there is value in those tools and those assessments. I agree 100%. Now, for lunch, I don't know if I would send one out, but knowing that person's, I mean, it helps you know how to talk to that person, mm-hmm. right? And people that aren't intuitive, maybe that's a tool that, will help them, okay, how do I figure out how to communicate with this person? So I'm all about it. Sure. I mean, we went back right to the beginning of this conversation. We talked about time, you know, and the, val- and the value of time. Um, and, you know, we both work in industries where, again, to be best in class, to be efficient, to be effective, you know, how you're utilizing your time. You're trying to acquire guests. You're trying to build new property. We're trying to, to develop develop new clients, retain existing clients, how you utilize your time and what and you don't always know on paper from the outside looking in what may look like a, a great potential relationship or a great potential client if fundamentally, philosophically, we don't agree sure. on, on anything. Okay, It could be what color you would want the wallpaper to want. We may not want to try to push this boulder uphill for the next year and a half in a long sales cycle. And that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And if you meet someone in a meeting or an interview, you know, you're in an interview. I'm looking at it more from a hiring standpoint. From an interview, though, everyone's going to tell you, like, whatever you think, you know, they think you want to hear, right? That's the job of an interview. And us, too, you've got to grow. I mean, 125-plus people, it's one thing when you introduce them to everybody that works in the company and everybody gets to meet. At a certain point, you grow beyond. You don't have time to do that. you, You grow beyond that. And so it's like, you know, a lot of times when you start working with someone for a couple of weeks, okay, this is not what I thought, but you're done. You're committed, right? So any tool that can give you insight into that person's real, who they are, what makes them tick. Yeah, because that's important. If, you know, you spend so much time with these people at work. You want to at least get along with a person or have similar Absolutely. kind of interests, you know. I mean, it's good to have, mix it up, obviously, but yeah. some things need to be kind of understood and... I heard a stat somewhere which just blows my mind that 90% of people lie on resumes. So it's like a resume is trash, right? It's mm-hmm. garbage, right? So you can't go really off a resume. Well, so. so what does it really, really tell you anyway? Um, you can go through a traditional interview process. You can take the resume template, if you will, and tell you that. And it can, it can be what it is. Can you really beat these other things? You know, apparently not. Right. Really. I mean, maybe if you really try hard enough, but if you're really trying that hard... <laughs> 
I hope we don't get you anyway. You know, I, that's you right. Try that like, <laughs> right, beat, exactly. beat the system or beat the test. I really hope we don't make the mistake on right. our end. Right. You know, and you get it on that anyway. There's some hospitality companies like uh, White Lodging is a company, huge hospitality company, and they've got like a like a four or five step process. I think the last step of the process is you sit down with a psychologist and they basically do a psych evaluation on you. Like that's really hardcore, right? And but. That's obviously successful for them because that's how they built. You know, they've got like a thousand hotels managed or something like that. But you know, so there is definitely um, a lot of value in knowing really what makes that yeah. you know person's personality come together. Certainly, certainly prudent in this in this day and age. Let's turn it. Okay, um, you talked about culture a lot. You talked about the values and the and the ethics um, and the community basis around around New Horizon philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And the community and everything, which you touched on, you're involved uh, in a number of community and, and philanthropic endeavors. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, the importance of community and philanthropy um, to your business, also, but to you personally and your, and your family. I know. Um, what did I read about? We talked about briefly the Aga Khan Foundation, you know, and that event and what you've been sure. doing with them. Um, so yeah, let's let's run with that a little bit. So um, both sides of my family um, have always been very involved in our community um, in terms of volunteering and giving back. And um, uh, I'm part of the Shia Mami Smiley community. So we're a sect of Muslims on the Shia side. We're very, very, very small percentage of the you know, total population of, of Muslims, maybe 30 million, 40 million followers around the world. But one of the key tenets of our belief is, and all Muslims, is giving back, right? I mean, that's a tenet of the faith is you know, mm-hmm. take care of your neighbor, give back. That's not a, you know, if you think you want to do it, it's a, you know, obligation as a human to take care of your neighbor, right? I mean, so that concept of service is ingrained in both sides of my family, and it's always been something that all of our families have always been involved in. My mom, my dad, my grandparents, you know, you know aunts, uncles, so... That idea of giving back was just something we always grew, you know, grew up with, and um, you know, we're blessed. Like anyone living here in the U.S., us sitting here in this office, you know, we're blessed. Like people around the world live in really, really horrible conditions, and if you don't leave, you know, the comfort of the U.S. or of the resort city you go to, and really go see a third world country, you'll understand what I think what poverty means and what people live in, you know, Africa, Asia, these people have nothing. And I've been lucky to have been traveled, you know, with my parents. So I've been to these places, even my parents' hometown of Karachi, you know, it's, it's horrible, you know, it's poverty stricken and, and homelessness and just, you know, health. And, I mean, it's just the worst. So, um, you know, so I'm mindful of that and mindful that I'm very lucky and blessed to have what I have. And I know that I have to give back and, you know, help some of these other people in the world. So um, I used to teach in our religious classes for about 10 or 12 years. And um, I taught specifically 12th grade. And it was really more about prepping them for, hey, this is what college is. Because growing up in, as a first or second generation, their parents didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. So they can't tell them, hey, this is what it's going to be like. You know, don't go crazy. You know what I mean? Because that's what happened to me, right? I went sure. nuts, right? I mean, we just went crazy because you never had that really kind of independence, you know, whatever. And so I you specifically show up in wanted Austin. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, like what? Sixteen? All right, cool. I'll move in. So um, I'll tell you a funny story about that later. But um, you know, so that 
I, that helped me because I knew that I could give back to kids in this way and really in a meaningful way and set them up. Like, you know, I told them, you know, get outside of your bubble, right? I mean, we live in this community, but there's a whole world of people out there. Don't just hang out with the same people. Right. Get involved in school. Get involved in fraternity or community, you know, community service, something there. Mm-hmm. Like, meet different people, expand your horizons, but be mindful of why you're there, right? Sure. Balance it. And, you know, so I enjoyed that. I bounced around and did a couple of different things, and I was asked to join uh, as a volunteer for Compassionate Houston. I didn't know anything about Compassionate Houston. Um, I was asked by um, someone in our community who was a member, hey, I can't do this commitment. Can you go do it? So about three years ago, I walk into this meeting. I have no idea what it is. And Compassionate Houston basically is a coalition of it brings together all of the nonprofit, faith-based, non-faith-based organizations that are dedicated towards providing compassionate service in the city of Houston, right? Uh, the, this, uh, value or, uh, uh, this value of being compassionate of compassion is something that everyone can benefit from. And there's a charter of compassion by Karen Armstrong, and there's a whole organization, a compassionate uh, organization, but basically this organization was very loosely formed, and they kind of wanted to do, they had been around for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do a big like lunch event and a kickoff event. And I was basically just thrown in, and I was like, well, these are great people. I love what they're doing. The founder of the Houston chapter is Reverend Betty Adams at the Christ Catholic Church downtown. Okay. And uh, she's an awesome, amazing person. And basically, because I really liked her, I was like, okay, I'll help out. And from scratch, we put together this luncheon and this Compassion Fest. You know, never have been done. You know, know, no systems in place, nothing. You know, I mean, it was fine. I was like, uh, whatever. But... That really was able to establish that organization and credibility. And now this year coming up is the fourth year we're doing this lunch. So it's become kind of like an annual fundraising thing. We do the Compassion Week. So I feel really good that I was able to springboard that organization um, and kind of give it some structure and you know propel it and, and to move on. Um, after that first year, though, I was approached by the Aga Khan Foundation. Uh, the Icon Foundation is a global organization um, dedicated to uplifting people out of abject poverty around the world, war-torn countries, you know, people that have no access to anything, you know, people in Africa, you know, live off two dollars a day, right? Eighty okay. percent of people no water, you know, these types of situations, you know, in Afghanistan and Tajikistan, they've never had running electricity. Now, just think about that for a second, right? That means like after three or four p.m. It's totally dark. So if they want to do anything, they're lighting fires in their house. And they're inhaling these fumes, right? I mean, like, there's a whole cycle, right? Life expectancy, Mm -hmm. childbirth, can't read, can't educate, right? So we look at not short-term fixes, this organization. They look at how do we transform these communities. So an example here in this community in Afghanistan, they basically set up a power structure, a grid. Afghanistan never has had that before. Because of that now, 50% of the country has running power you know, 24, seven a day. And it's the biggest economy that, you know, biggest producer in the economy there. Mm-hmm. So it's producing rewards. So that type of vision is how do we long-term work for that, you know, work towards that. So my role is I'm the vice chairman uh, over the Southwest region and specifically over Houston. We do three signature events a year and uh, we did, uh, uh, our gala was uh, back in August. Uh, it was actually, the culture map did a write-up on it, uh, mm-hmm. us, which was great. It was a great article. Um, and that went really well. Uh, and we have our 
signature event, which is our walk coming up, which is October 21st. And that's here at Discovery Green Park. Uh, we've got a, a superhero fun run for the kids in the morning. And then we've got a walk. It's just a really short 1K route through downtown. And we've got food, entertainment, and, you know, it, uh, um, it's totally free to attend. Last year, we raised about $1.2 million wow, at this incredible. walk. Um, the goal, and we had about 8,000 people. This year, the goal is obviously about, you know, to increase that amount raised. But since it's in Discovery Green, this is our first year having it there. It's always been at Sam Houston Park. We're excited because there's going to be just so many people in the area anyways, and they'll get to see what we're doing and engage with the community and really reach the broader community, and that's what we're really focused on. And um, this position is totally voluntary, um, but it can take anywhere from 20 to 40 hours a week. Um, and that's been, uh, you know, in terms of balancing and managing everything, um, that's tough. When I was offered the position, you know, I talked to, I made three calls. So I called my dad, like, hey, dad. I've been offered this position. It's going to be a strain on work, but I want to make sure that you're okay with it before I do it because I know we have a lot going on. We have the hotel under construction. We had a renovation. I mean, all this stuff. And, you know, he understood. He's like, yes, 100% I support you. And I called my wife, and I was like, hey, you know, whatever time I see you now, it's going to be even less, you know, with this. But, you know, she understands the value of it, and she's like, yeah, 100% I support you. And I called a buddy of mine. Um, uh, he's in marketing at Just Energy, and I was like, "Hey, man, I know I need I know I need a really strong marketing lead. If I take this, I need your commitment. It's a three year it's a three year uh, term." And I was like, "Man, I need your commitment that you know you're gonna help me because marketing is a huge part of what we're doing." And so, I got the buy in from you know everybody on those calls, and I decided to you know take the take the position and you know and move forward. And so last year was our first full year, um, and it's been great. I mean, it's. Um, the work that uh, the work that we do is not felt here locally. That's one of our challenges. People mm -hmm. ask, "Well, what are you guys doing for Houston?" Well, I mean, we think globally, right? I mean, it's a global organization, but most of our funds go to Asia and Africa. But those are the people that are in need, you know, the most need, you know, the way that we see it. Um, and so, that's sometimes a challenge when we're approaching new potential sponsors or donors. Mm -hmm. And well, what are you doing locally? But that's not maybe like. We recently uh, approached uh, Texas Children's, and Texas Children's is doing work in Africa, and so they were doing work in the same community that we were. So you know there are tie-ins. We just got to find the right audience for it. But um, it gives me balance in my life. Greg, honestly, is yeah. like it. That's what it does for me. Also, personally and selfishly, I guess is that it can't just all be business, 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 making money. Mm -hmm. It's got to be something else in my life, you know. And so this really. Although it's work and it's just like other work, but I know the ultimate good is greater good and giving back. So it, it really helps me stay balanced as well. It's a great uh, it's a great way to come full circle because you touched on a few things there. Again, the the process of, of making decisions. You know, we, we talked about it on a personal and professional level, and I you know the three that you went to. It's always good to find. Okay, well, all right, here's the inner circle. You know, in a way of, of how right. how you make the decisions. That work-life, that balance and harmony between the personal and the professional, um, and what you guys are doing overall—it's um, been great, great stuff. So first, okay, for anybody that's interested in the Aga Khan Foundation, that um, how do they find it? How do Good, they find thank out? Thank you. That? Thanks for prompting me on that. <laughs> uh, AKFUSA.org. 
uh, is the website, and all of our cities are listed there. Um, AKFUSA.org slash Houston Walk will take you specifically to the walk registration page. We also have a Facebook, so if you search Aga Khan Foundation Houston, we're on Facebook. We've got you know 10,000 followers on our Facebook page, and that's really probably the best way to stay updated with what we're doing. Uh, but October 21st at Discovery Green, it's totally free for everyone. There'll be food vendors out. The entertainment's free. Coming into, you know, you don't have to donate anything. Just come out and, and check us out and have fun. We we'll have some really cool exhibits. We've got um, stuff for the kids, magicians, face painting, you know, clowns, all that kind of stuff. So it should be a really fun, family friendly event. Uh, starts at nine a.m. on October twenty first. Awesome. I'll put up a, a link to the site awesome. um, from there too because year round you guys are doing things and this is an organization that. Uh, it's there all year, every year, yep. uh, as as well. Yep. Um, New Horizons hospitality. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in your hotels, okay? Mm-hmm. I want to I want to do it the New Horizons way. Uh, where do we find you there? Uh, www.newhorizonshospitality.com. Uh, that's our website. All of our news is updated on this. So if you want to check out what the company's doing or how we're giving back, there's a section. All of our properties are listed on there as well. And our contact information is on there. So uh, if you need anything, that's the best place to go, newhorizonshospitality.com. Very cool. All right. If you like what you have heard on the Midlife Mail podcast today, give us that five-star review, that thumbs up, subscribe to the show, tell your friends, tell your family. If you didn't, hey, don't say anything at all. That's cool too, okay? Um, But hope you guys enjoy it. Ali Valiani, President, New Horizons Hospitality. Thank you so much for being here today. Really, really good stuff. We're out. See you next week. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.